a little bit about life and death and what that looks like. So when I think about my life, I think about the times when I was really inspired and when I was just in the flow. You know what I'm talking about, where just everything connects seamlessly, effortlessly. The right people show up at the right moment. The right doors are open to you at the right moment. Your life just feels like you're surfing the most amazing wave of your life. And you're just confident and everything seems to be going your way. And um, sure, you know, life has its ups and downs and you'd have something stupid like maybe you'd have a flat tire or you're getting ready in the morning and you run your stockings or, you know, you're running up and down the steps really fast and you stub your toe. But when you look at the things that you're dealing with in terms of difficulties, they're really not that bad. And you just take it as it comes and you fix the flat tire and you throw out the pair of stockings and buy a new pair of stockings. And when you stub your toe, you get out your first aid kit and you repair your toe and put a Band-Aid on it and keep going. They're just part of the process. And then as you're in this incredible life bubble of just at peace, you're at peace with yourself, you're at peace with your life, and like I said, things are really seeming to be going your way. And when I rewind and I ask myself, what? was specifically going on during that time of my life. And I can say that I was happy with myself. I was happy with my body. I was happy with my mind. I was happy with my goals and my visions. I was happy with my relationship with God. I was happy with my prayer and meditation routines. I was happy with my reading and education schedule of learning and discipline. I was happy with my friends and my network of people that were in my life at that time. And I felt supported. I had great communication with my family um, in terms of speaking to my parents and life was good. Now, when things are really going well, like I said, and your life seems to be working and seamlessly flowing in an incredible pattern, it doesn't seem like anything's really wrong on the surface. However, when you're really busy and Your busyness is teaching 35 power yoga classes a week or on the computer nonstop designing logo and brochures and websites nonstop and you're just in that creative zone or you're writing 
painting, just in that artistic mode of just allowing God to come through you in whatever means it comes out. And in that phase, life is really amazing. And generally speaking, when I reflect back on my life and all the different parts of meeting people and thinking about when I'm single, I'm in that happy zone of taking care of myself, having a life that works, being a part of community, making some type of contribution with what I do intellectually and what I do physically in terms of either donating with my money or with my time in the community. And I'm not thinking about how, quote, a man will fulfill me. I'm just content with my personal relationship with God and I'm content with my life as God is leading me to do my life one day at a time in the flow that God has put me in. Now, I can tell you that when I met someone in my life, it was always a pattern of I was not looking for it. The person came to me the relationship came to me. I did not seek it. Now, yes, I've been in situations where people have said, hey, let me set you up. And most of those circumstances, they just were not a good match. I know people mean well, but sometimes they're just really off. And I did the honorary thing of saying, okay, I'll meet this person. But most of the time, it never went past that first meeting because we just weren't a match. Now, again, like I said, whenever I have attempted to do something in my own like desire, like, oh, I'm going to date, so I'm going to get on a dating app, all of those examples of people that I met during that period of time where I was actively trying to do something, it was a total disaster. It didn't matter how clear my profile was about the kind of man that I wanted to attract. It was like I attracted every single person who was so far from what I really wanted. And yes, I did end up finding someone and having a relationship with someone for several years. However, it was not a godly relationship. And no matter how hard I tried to demonstrate with my behavior and be patient and think that it was going somewhere, it was never going anywhere. In contrast, when I'm content allowing God to fill me up by filling myself up with reading the Bible, by filling myself up with listening to positive affirmations of what the Bible tells me of who I am in Christ. And by reading books that are by authors that 
the Lord has specifically guided me to read because it's something about my journey that I need to look at, take a deeper introspective understanding, and then the answers come through people, places, and things. However, <laughs> life has its twists and turns. And now I want to bring you to a more current part of my life, which is approximately four years ago. I met the most amazing man. But I have to rewind and say I met him when we, when we were teenagers and we both were at Peabody. I was at Peabody for dance and he was there for music. And at that time in my life, I was a virgin. I was pure. I was not tainted by a lot of the worldly things. And I was very confident in my faith at that time. And so was he. And that is when we met. Now, being that he was in a music career, he was more influenced by the world than I was. And I was stronger in my conviction to say no and to hold up very strong boundaries with him, even as a teenager. And he was surprised at my convictions. He was surprised at my knowing who I am. And he wanted to know me more. And as we continued to, I'm going to say puppy date, because that's really what it was. There was no physical involvement besides just real basic kissing at this time. Um, life has its twists and turns. Now, I can tell you that I would have been interested to continue getting to know him as a teenager. And I would say that he had the same interest as well based on our communication. However, at that time, tragedy set in and something terrible happened and it separated us. And during that time, I was raped by my best friend who happened to be a skateboarder and I happened to be, I happened to trust him. So I never saw it coming. Well, the point of the matter is that that one moment changed a lot for me because number one, my jewels were taken from me without my permission. Number two, as a result, I got pregnant and I then had to face adult decisions as a child. I was 15. And although I went to friends and tried to find answers and research and find out what options and possibilities were before I made any type of decision, I was overwhelmed. And needless to say, the situation got even more complicated. When I attempted to contact 
the boy who had raped me and to let him know that I was pregnant. He ended up not being at the phone, but his older brother was there. And his older brother stepped in and basically took charge and then wanted to take responsibility for the mess that his younger brother had put me in. So not only was I dealing with being pregnant, being raped, dealing with one boy, I now was dealing with two boys. And if I could explain it, it would be like dealing with the bad boy who raped me, who was really good looking and a great communicator and fun. And then his older brother was the good looking, good guy who had a job, he was responsible, he was kind, he had a relationship with God, and he wanted to do the right thing, which was to marry me and to have the baby. And at age 15, this was very overwhelming because when you add to this whole picture that I was hand-selected, I was studying at Peabody uh, Conservatory of Dance. Simultaneously, I had been hand-selected at the Baltimore School for the Arts as a dance major, and I was also going to Baltimore Ballet. So my entire future was about my body being my vehicle for my art and my craft, and my body was going to be housing a baby, and all of this brought up so much confusion for me. So I was put in some really challenging circumstances, and I reached out to some friends who were females, and I asked for some support by saying I was asking for a friend because I didn't even have the courage to declare that it was me that was in that terrible situation. As time went on, I ended up finally going to my parents and telling them what happened and hoping that I was going to get the kind of loving, compassionate support. I soon realized that that was not what I received. There was a lot of name calling and labeling and punishment and um, all contact with me and any boy that I had in my life was put, you know, I wasn't allowed to communicate or have phone privileges or go out. Um, I was forced into having an abortion. That was not my decision. Um, I was standing in the Catholic Church looking at all the abortion posters after post-abortion and thinking my life and this, you know, way that it happened is going to shape me in a way now that I could not understand or predict at that moment. But after that abortion and after the ridicule and the shame that came with it, and the wondering of what might have been, it definitely shaped the way that I thought. And yet at the same time, 
it also explains why I was so hesitant to get involved in relationships with other people and why I was at kind of an arm's length and why I was so specific and why I wanted to be an excellent communicator so that I could ask the right questions. And perhaps to some men, as I dated them, they were like, whoa, you're intense. Because I asked so many questions because I wanted to know who was I getting involved with. But time after time, I kept finding myself in the same pattern where I kept attracting the wrong guys. And no matter what they told me and how good looking they were or what family they said that they came from, I just kept seeing the same thing happen over and over again, that I kept being deceived, just like Eve. I just kept being deceived over and over again about what makes up a good relationship. As I went to college and I my circle of influence and expanded with new relationships and new people, I found that I really was being misinformed by the world. And I was being misinformed by my friends. I was being misinformed by my family. And the more that I went internally into reading books and researching and investing much of my, you know, fortune of earning into self-development and seminars and workshops and books and libraries, the more that I understood and learned certain information about who I am and who I'm not, the harder and harder it became for me to think that there was anybody out there that was ever going to fit this description of what a godly man was. But I didn't even have the label at that time, godly man. I just knew that I wanted somebody that was honest, that had integrity. I knew that I wanted somebody to treat me with respect and to do what they say they were going to do. I knew that I wanted someone who would love me and love my family And if children were in the picture, that they would love children and animals. Those were the basics that I knew. I wanted somebody who had a vision like an entrepreneur or someone who had their own business or someone that just had a steady job. But in my relationships and in my dating failures, what I found over and over again was that some of these people that fit that category, they still did not put God first. They put their careers first. They put, you know, their passions first, whatever that was. For many of them, their passions involved alcoholism and drug addiction or shopping addiction or gambling or porn or something, some type of addiction Many of the men that I dated just did not have a serious relationship with God as a foundation. And even though I had mine, what I did was I found that I had my foundation in God and my spiritual practices 
And I just practiced them on my own. And it fulfilled me. It filled me up. It helped me to become a better human being. But I wasn't with a megaphone or a microphone proclaiming to even the guy I was dating or even to my family at the time. I wasn't proclaiming, hey, in order to um, really have a great life, you need to have a relationship with God. I knew that for myself, but I wasn't proclaiming it to anyone else. I felt like I was just supposed to demonstrate it with who I was being but I didn't need to tell anybody else. But unfortunately, trying to date people that don't have a personal relationship with God, they don't have you know, a reading of the Bible or the Torah practice or the discipline of what that means in terms of respect and integrity, it makes having a relationship really difficult. And I kept thinking that there was something wrong with me. And again, I'm sure that that comes from my own trauma and my own abuse and the circumstances that I had to conquer and go through. But the mindset was that I kept thinking there was something wrong with me instead of looking at these other men that perhaps there was something wrong with them because they did not have a personal relationship with God. They did not have a discipline of reading the Bible or journaling or meditating and praying on the word. They did not have experience of learning about healing or believing that God could heal from the inside out doing anything. These men that I dated did not have the conviction that I had. So again, I went backwards to then come back forwards. So here I am. And four years ago, I was content with my life as it was, living alone, um, happy with my relationship with God, practicing what I was doing to better myself after losing a lot of weight, um, I at that time I was about 130 pounds. I was feeling great about myself. I was working on my business in life coaching and health coaching. I was tapering off from the yoga classes of teaching. I was really feeling like that was going to be minimized. And I was just enjoying what God was leading me to do for me. And all of a sudden, this guy that I hadn't spoken to in 32 years contacted me on Facebook and said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm doing my 12-step work and I'm working on making amends and I remember hurting you and I wanted to make amends. Would you give me a call? And when I saw his name, of course I remembered his name and I gave him a call. And the first phone call I think just went to voicemail 
And then he responded back saying, hey, I got your message and um, I'd love to get in touch with you and maybe we could go ice skating together, get a cup of coffee. And he was always a very fun person. So again, I returned the call and this time I actually got him on the phone. And that particular day, I want to talk about being real versus having a polished, put-together look. That day, I was not polished. I had my Yoda hat on. I was not wearing any makeup. I was wearing leggings and a t-shirt and a sweater. There was nothing that looked appealing to me or sexual or inviting or I was not dressed for a date to be very simple I just looked like I was cleaning the house and I had a hat on because my hair was a mess but in that moment over the phone we had a brief conversation and this is what I mean about God lining things up for you and your life I was in my car at the time it was a Kia Soul and I was at a stoplight and I'm talking to him on the phone and he was basically, I felt like he was hesitating to get together. Like he wanted to, but there's something in between. And I just asked him directly. I said, are you willing to live in the moment here and now? Are you going to live in the past? Because I'm here and now in the moment with you. And it seems like perhaps we're supposed to meet right now. Are you in or out? And he said, where are you right now? And I said, I'm at the corner of Bel Air and um, across the street from this Silver Spring Station restaurant. And he said, look across the street. And he was waving. Like literally at that moment in time, we both were in the exact space and time. I was on one side of the street. He was on the other side of the street. I was in my car. He was standing outside on the street smoking a cigarette. The point of the matter is that God put us in that moment of time. And of course, we met and I got out of the car and we walked and talked. And it was a very cold, brisk day. And we walked and talked. And as we discovered, it was like we were supposed to be connected whether it was for a time or a season or a lifetime we were supposed to be connected and so we continued and he was very direct with me and he was like hey I um I remember when we were teenagers and you took me to your school for the arts party and I flirted with someone else right in front of you And he's like, that was really wrong. And I said, I really appreciate you acknowledging that. And I said, because at the time, you really did hurt my feelings. And I said, I forgive you. And he was like, how can you forgive so quickly? And I said, well, the Bible tells us to forgive someone 70 times 7. And I'm not going to sit here and say that all things are easy to forgive, but in that case, it's pretty easy to forgive. So yeah, I forgive you. So we continue to talk about the Bible, our experiences, 
how God had led us in all different directions. And he had a life that from the time that we were teenagers had led him into the music career, into VIP status, into being around drugs all the time, into becoming a drug addict, in being involved with all kinds of women and impurity, sexual immorality, all of it. And he was very upfront with me about what he had learned, what he had turned away from, what he was working on, that he was part of Narcotics Anonymous, that he was working his steps, that he had a sponsor, that he had a network of friends. And I believed him. Not only the words that he was saying, but I watched his behavior and I watched how he treated me. And very shortly, he proposed to me and he put a ring on my finger. And again, our relationship was grounded in the Bible, in reading together, in communicating together, in learning and growing together as a couple, in talking about what God wanted for a woman to be and what God wanted for a man to be. And we supported one another in terms of me helping with my strong skills in the areas where he was weak and for him to help me with his strong skills in the areas where I was weak. And together, we really did form a perfect, imperfect union, or so it seemed. But both of us still had distorted ideas about what was right and about what was wrong in terms of our own biblical interpretation and understanding. And in terms of other relationships that I had in the past, nothing came close to what I experienced with him. And that's very strange to say, considering that he was the most damaged person that I ever dated in my entire life. And perhaps he would have thought of me as the same. The point is, we loved each other from where we were at. And we inspired and encouraged each other to become the best version that we could be in Christ, in Christ's image, in how he wanted us to be more of who he was. And as much as I can say that I felt like we were on the same page. And when we began to write down and discuss and plan and allow God to move through us with a music ministry and a retreat ministry for fitness and just the house that we were going to buy, the, the vision for retreats, the traveling and spreading of the gospel, all the things that we thought that God was doing through us and what we had hoped to do, we were on that particular timeline of being connected and unified in the spirit. And we called ourselves at the time Unity Empires. 
And with that, we had many business ministries that we began to develop together. And again, I use my strengths and he used his strengths and we supported one another. And things appeared to be going in a very positive direction. Now, mind you, I did agree to be a support to him in the sense that he did not have a car and he needed a ride to get to a meeting, at least one meeting a day. Most of the time it was two meetings a day. And I did commit to do that for a time. And it was nine months that I did do that. And after that time, I explained to him that he needed to reach out to the network that he had created of his other brothers in Narcotics Anonymous and that he needed to consult with um, his network of men to do the deep work that he needed to do and I needed to reconnect with my sisters and my friends and to get back to my goals as I had really in the beginning of the engagement did everything to help support and edify that he had a strong foundation. And and as we progressed, and like I said, it really did seem like we were on the same page. Like I said, we made some mistakes. And some of the mistakes that we made, and I'm just sharing them authentically so that you understand, we had sex before marriage. We were living together to save money. We were definitely in our mindset, committed to one another and ready for marriage. But how I understood that to be in my own definitions of maturity and how that compared to his maturity were quite different. And this is where, again, sometimes men will tell you what you want to hear and in truth, they have either no idea what you're talking about they haven't completed what you're talking about, or they have no intention to complete what you're talking about, but they're going to tell you that they're on the same page. And sometimes when you look at their behavior, and for the most part, their words are matching up, their behavior is matching up with their words, you start to have, I've had already at that point built confidence that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. So when he got injured, so this was the first beginning part of the breakdown, he injured his wrist and as a musician playing the guitar and the piano, having an injured wrist really became a huge hardship for him. And then it was the pain medicine and then it was injections and all these things were not using narcotics and it got to the point where it wasn't improving and surgery was required and we had had all those conversations about how we were going to manage it and talking to the doctor about no narcotics whatsoever and making the environment supportive so that he would have all the self-care that he needed. 
Well, unfortunately, um, things did not turn out the way that we had hoped. Because when I went to see him after the surgery, um, they had already given him narcotics and it was already in his system. And there was nothing I could do at that point. Um, And we're talking about, you know, the battle of fighting a large hospital corporation versus what we had already described as what he was not to get. And after the, you know, medications wore off and then he had the other medications, pain medications, it wasn't really doing very well. And I believe at some point, at that point, and then we had COVID that hit, it was somewhere in there that he started to use drugs. And he was doing it secretively. He was not making it obvious to me in any way. Um, And so I did not know that it was going on. Um, When I did find out that things were strange, I did bring it to his sponsor's attention. We had many phone calls um, where I poured out the behavior and what was going wrong and I just didn't understand and his sponsor would then talk to him and thank me for bringing it to his attention. And again, I did the best that I could. Unfortunately, alcoholism, which I understood from prior relationships, and drug addiction that I understood in terms of pot smokers from prior relationships is very different from drug addiction that involves heroin, crack, PCP, cocaine, uppers, downers, what have you, all these cocktail, you know, mixes that he had become accustomed to. And when I literally caught him snorting white powder off of my dryer, when I went to check up on him, like, what is he doing? Why is he taking so long? Is he outside still smoking a cigarette? And I actually caught him snorting white powder off of my dryer. And I have to tell you, in that moment, you know, it was really simple what I said. Um, And yet, on different levels and different interpretations, people can misunderstand what I was actually saying. The words that I spoke were, get out. I was talking to the demons that were on him and in him. I was not talking to his soul. I was not telling him to pack up and leave. I was telling the demons to leave. But what happened was, instead of them leaving, he got very angry and destructive and it got to the point where he had to be asked to leave. And that is what began a series of him taking back his will and wanting to do things his way and not submitting to God. So during this time, 
I, um, I really, I had a lot of introspection and to summarize, he was on people's couches. He was in and out of treatment centers. Um, I picked him up out of gutters from strangers that called me and said that they found him. Um, he had so much potential to be this amazing person. And I just watched him over and over again fail. But the beauty of what I had with this man and with this relationship is that every time that he failed, he came back to me, he fessed up, he got honest, he told me what he did on that round. He told me how he had hurt me by being, you know, disobedient. He told me how he had ruined our funds. He was honest and he asked for my forgiveness. And I can tell you that my friends and family really did not understand my level of forgiveness, nor did they understand why I wanted to continue to be a force for good in his life and to love him through this process. And I was judged and I was in a very difficult position. And during this time, he had vandalized my car. He had stolen money. He had um, wrecked my car. He had wrecked my new van. He had um, put me in difficult positions. Um, said some really terrible things. And during the whole time, again, I kept leaning on the Holy Spirit. I kept asking God to give me more courage and strength. And I continue to show up as a sister, as his friend in Christ, with my prayers and with my love to keep telling him to keep going and to keep believing that God had a plan and as difficult as it was that he still needed to stay in the game and our saying to one no matter to one another was no matter what no matter what and uh we pressed on now of course we were living separately during this time you know sharing the address for mail, etc. But, um, you know, living independently as I could not, you know, subject myself to what he was putting himself through and the insanity of it all. And then, again, I'd see him succeed a little bit and press on. And then I'd see him fail again. And I'd confront him. And I would encourage him and I would also set boundaries and say this is unacceptable and this is not godly and 
you promised me A, B, and C, and are you going to keep your word, or are you going to choose something different? And either way, it's okay. I just need to understand what you're trying to tell me. And the next thing I know, I got a phone call that from a hospital that said that he was in a coma and that they didn't think he was going to make it and that I should come in and say my last respects and that my, you know, contact information was on his health record and, you know, I was his power of attorney and health proxy and all that. And with much prayer and centering and focus and support, um, I then entered into the hospital and I waited till we had privacy and I held his hand and I addressed the evil that was within him and I told them to get out in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua. And his entire body started to convulse. And I saw him sit up. And his eyes were like a yellow green. Like a python spirit. And then he fell back down on his back. And he convulsed some more. And then I spoke into him everything that I loved about him. And everything that was beautiful. And everything that was just total love that I had experienced with him and how I, he inspired me and how he inspired others and how I envisioned him sharing his gifts with the world and to be the man that he had wanted to become. And he squeezed my hand and tears came down his face. And I told him in that moment that I was going to walk out of the hospital and that I had no idea what was in store for him, whether he was going to live or die, and that it was in God's hands, but that he would have to make these decisions himself about wanting to put God in the number one position and keep him there, and that he really needed to surrender to Jesus, to Yeshua, and to understand what that meant and that I would support him if he was willing to do that but that I I can't you know continue in the way that he was continuing with drugs and with demons and um I can't remember the exact timeline but a nurse called me and so said to me that he woke up and that he had made it. And so I went to the hospital and he literally recounted to me everything that I had said with tears flowing down his face and total remorse. And again, a total new, you know, um, confession of all the things that he had done to me and to our money and to you know, what he did to himself, what he did to me. And 
and I appreciated his honesty and I thanked him and I encouraged him, you know, maybe so what options that he had that he might consider, but that it was his decision how he was going to go about it. And he checked himself into the HUM, which is a treatment center for a year. And I was hopeful that perhaps this place would be able to help him. But like I said, I knew that a program is a program is a program. But unless Christ is the authority and the headship of all decisions, you're going to continue to fail. So, um, like I said, I was hopeful. And we navigated that whole mess of, um, you know, not being allowed to see him. And meanwhile, there were many things that needed to be addressed that I needed his signature and his agreements on. And all of that whole financial legal mess that he put us in, um, you know, it was hard. I'm not going to sit here and say it was easy. It was really hard. And um, at the same time, I saw him getting healthier, or so it appeared to be while he was in, you know, this treatment center that was keeping him inside. Um, but soon thereafter, you know, life has a way of putting you through things that don't make sense or are just out to get you because of how big your, your mission is. Um, so essentially I, um, had someone call me to be a life coaching client. And again, I had been doing coaching for many years, you know, as a, as a yoga coach and a fitness teacher, but specifically in these other realms of, of life coaching. And, um, you know, since like 2017, more specifically is when I really began that. So anyway, I was, active in taking on clients, but with all of the issues that um, my beloved had, he, um, you know, he made it, you know, all the things I was trying to help him with made it very difficult for me to be focused on living my life. Um, And it's sad to say that, you know, things can things that you have as a momentum kind of suddenly fall apart when you're focused on other things. So anyway, um, I was kind of excited for this new life coaching call. And I went to meet this man at a public place because at the time, my office space, we weren't allowed to meet in a church, which is where I rented an office space from. So I had to meet somebody in a public restaurant. And uh, due to all the COVID restrictions. And as we met in a restaurant and, you know, I conducted this life coaching session with him. um, 
there were certain things that made it believe, made me believe that this was going to be a long-term client by the things that he said and by what he was offering. However, again, appearances can be deceiving. And I have to tell you that God's going to test you or the devil's going to test you, or it's going to be a combination of them both, because still all of this is a mystery in terms of how it works. But I was tested. This guy was a really good looking guy, younger. And he had said to me that he would like to help me, um, you know, because he was an electrician, and he'd like to look at my electric work that I was trying to do for my van build. And that he had the skills and he would take a quick look. Well, when I opened up the van to show him the parts and basically I had to like unhook this and move this and that sort of thing in order to get to the components to show him. And in that short amount of time, he cornered me and slammed the door in my van and attempted to take advantage of me. And I didn't see it coming. And I knew that I could either use my persuasive abilities and try to get out of this terrible situation, or I was going to find myself in a terrible situation. So thank God I was able to convince him to stop taking advantage of me in that moment right then and there, and that I would agree to meet him the very next day for more of the same, but that I was really tired and, you know, let me freshen up and let's, you know, and thank God that worked. He was so excited that I wanted to spend time with him the next day. And of course, that was a lie on my part. I had no intention of getting together with this man. I just wanted him to get out of my van so that I could get to safety. So, but I had to cover my trail and I had to make the appearance that I was interested. So I continued to send text messages to him to lead him on. Well, when I had to visit my beloved in the treatment center, and tell him of this news. He got very angry and he checked himself out of the treatment center. And then I found myself yet again in challenging circumstances where I was being expected to utilize the resources that I had to assist and help my brother in Christ who was still challenged, still struggling. And we lived in an empty cargo van in the middle of winter um, without any heat um, until it was unbearable. Um, And I had an apartment to go to, but I couldn't leave him alone without trusting him with my possessions. And um, 
I invited, um, I asked for help from some of my friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, and we stayed with them at their houses on sofas and etc. in the freezing cold nights. And um, as brothers and sisters, we encouraged my beloved to get his act together and to do what was necessary. And we continued to let him know what the boundaries were, what was acceptable, what wasn't, etc. And um, we kept finding him failing and the evidence and the drug proof was there. And we would again explain what the consequences were. And each time, again, I kept hoping that this was the last time that he would get it. But again, I'm, I don't have a drug addiction that is all encompassing like he had. I don't have that propensity for those kinds of things because I've been freed of that. Um, so the whole point in this story is to share with you that your faith will be tested. The people you love are going to have challenges that are going to be really difficult. And you're going to have a choice to walk away or to continue to stay in the game and to fight the battle and to be there. And I continue to press on. Um, we got kicked out of my friend's house because drugs were found. Um, we went to my dad's place and my dad had made many comments about him doing what he said he was going to do and not leaving messes behind. And again, this was so foreign to me because the person who I knew was someone who was a clean freak and, you know, wanted to be in this love bubble relationship with me. And this other version of a person that I was witnessing, I didn't know who they were because it was possessed by demons. It wasn't the heart and soul that I fell in love with. And this distinction is so important because we can love the soul of the person, but when they're dealing with real serious spiritual warfare, we're not dealing with the person. We're dealing with demons. And it's it's a battle until they you know, until a surrender really occurs. So Anyway, um, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, and for a short time, I really felt like by his behavior and showing me that he was really, you know, committed to do the right thing, I thought that we really had a chance, and um, he was allowed to move back into my apartment.
life and death continuing. He he was allowed to move back in my apartment and um, had the consent of my landlord with him signing papers to understand, again, the consequences that if he didn't do what he said he was going to do, that, you know, he would be asked to leave. So, um, again, we were moving forward in this love bubble and I witnessed cooperation and support and help in the daily chores and him going back to work and bringing in an income and talking about our goals and what we wanted to do and watching him play his guitar and be inspired by music again and us working on the van build together and, um, you know, having the goals of what we wanted to do and how we wanted the ministry to grow. And again, like I said, um, it's about watching their behavior. And on many accounts, he just really made it appear that he was really in for the right reasons. So, um, my birthday was June 5th, and when we were camping that weekend, he seemed very sweet, and yet at the same time, um, very sad. There was a sadness about him. And I didn't understand what that was, because I'm looking at a person that almost died in November and now it's June and I'm thinking look at what he's gone through and he has the hope to live again and what is he sad about now um and he gave me a birthday present and it was two songs the first song was a song that he played all the time that was by a different Christian band seven and um He's basically, in the song, the lyrics are like, I'm dying, I'm dying for the Lord, I'm dying for the Lord. And it's about the battle. And it's more of like a hood song that if you're in the hood or grew up in the hood, you'd probably relate to it better. But given that I didn't grow up in the hood, it was a little harder for me to even understand the song. But after looking at it and listening to it, like I could see his affinity for the song and so he recorded his own voice singing the song over the actual song and so he gives it to me as a birthday present and I'm like kind of confused because we were talking about promotion and what he wants to do with his website and what music he was working on and he had other client work that he was working on music and I'm like you know I'm confused you can't what do you want me to do with this? I can't promote this. It's not yours. It's somebody else's work that you've put your your voice over top of it. And I'm like, I'm just confused. And he's like, no, but I got it. I made it for you. I'm like, yeah, but I see you sing the song every day when we're together and we're in the car. I know this is the song that you like to play. But why are you giving it to me now? And like I said, he seemed disappointed, but I just, I didn't understand what he was trying to tell me at that moment. So then he gave me another song. And the second song was like his real 
you know, um, his own lyrics that he had created and his own beats that he had created. And I knew about the beats already because he had like made them and he had already showed them to me previously. And I had said how I thought it was so beautiful. And I was curious and excited about him putting lyrics to it. So I already was familiar with the beat and the music um, or the melody, but I, you know, I didn't know about the lyrics until this time, you know, my birthday when I'm listening to the lyrics. But unfortunately, the way that he had recorded it, there was like a lot of interference from the microphones um, in the recording. And so it sounds like muffled. So I can, it's hard for me to understand the lyrics of what he's actually saying because of the the feedback from the microphone and the fuzz and then the loudness of the melody. And so for me, not a music, not a, I'm not a musician and I don't hear things the way that he hears things. I couldn't make it out. Although his voice is very like sing songy, folksy, you know, um, really beautiful, but I couldn't make out all the words and the lyrics. So again, I'm looking disappointed and I look at him and I'm like, I'm like, what do you want me to do with this? I'm like, what were you doing with the microphone? I'm like, you've got to go back to the studio and fix this. Like, I can't do anything with this. I can't sell this. I can't promote it. It, it, I can't even understand what you're saying. And I'm like, you know me, like, unless I understand what the lyrics are, I'm not even willing to listen to it because I'm real stickler about lyrics and what they're saying and what you're reinforcing in your mind by listening to music. And he knew that about me. And I'm like, I can't, I can't even promote something or endorse something if I don't even know what you're saying. I'm like, you know, make sure you write the lyrics out and you fix the feedback on this. And, and I'm like, I appreciate that you made this incredible effort. And I'm sure that when it's really finished, it's going to be beautiful. And I'm like, but right now I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on with you. And I'm like, and the only thing that I can understand about the way that you're behaving is that either A, you're high, or B, you've got technical difficulties with your equipment. And I said, but if you have technical difficulties with your equipment, I'm like, you're an audio engineer. You know how to fix everything. I'm like, so I have absolute faith in you that you're going to figure it out. I'm like, and if you need to call on somebody, you know the people to call on. So I have total faith in you. So here I'm, you know, I'm disappointed on my birthday with these two songs that he gives me that, number one, I can't even understand or know what the lyrics are that's fuzzy and the other which is somebody else's music that I hear him sing every day and I'm like why is he giving this to me so I'm kind of puzzled and disappointed and meanwhile I really want to spend quality time with him but he's seeming like he's distant but I don't know why he's distant so again was he high in that moment I don't know maybe, maybe not. Maybe he already knew what he knew in that moment. 
So I'm coming back from DC with my friend on on the eighth, and um, so a few days later, and when we had you know supposed to be getting together previously he was canceling because he said he was still working in the studio and he wanted to make the song right, etc. So, um, it's the eighth and I'm coming home and it's late or really early in the morning. And my friend says, Hey, I need to pick up a prescription at Walgreens. Do you mind on the way home instead of taking the highway? And I'm like, sure. Now the point is, had my friend not asked me to stop for a prescription And it just so happened that the location of the Walgreens that she went to was the same one that I went to, which was in walking distance from where my beloved had his studio apartment. So at that moment, we're sitting at a light um, on Harford Road, like waiting to get for the, you know, light to turn green. And my friend looks over and she's like, isn't that Eric? And I'm like, what is he doing? It's like two o'clock in the morning. And both of us did what we could to navigate the traffic, turn the van around so that we could get on the side of the street that he was on and pull over and stop. And this is what he said to me. Um, in person with my friend there. He said, Anne, the glow and glory of the Lord and his angels is upon you, and I see them. They're here, and you look so peaceful. You had a really wonderful, joyful day. I can see that in your spirit. And, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Eric, what are you doing? Why don't you get in the van? We'll give you a ride home. And he knew my rule. My rule was you're never to put me or anyone in danger. If you have drugs on you, you are never to enter my vehicle. So he refused to get in the vehicle saying that he couldn't and that he would walk home. So my friend had talked to him as well and she asked him a couple questions and he said that he would talk to us tomorrow the next day so he was one that generally kept his word in terms of communication and I can say in the four years that I knew him um, not a night went by no matter how messed up he was no matter where he was He always called me in the evening and he said, I just wanted to hear your voice. I just want to know that you've said your prayers. Let's say our prayers together. I love you, baby. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And this was a ritual that we had every night. And the next day he called me and he was really upbeat and full of inspiration and he shared what he was really excited to complete and what he was working on musically and how things were coming together 
And then all of a sudden, the conversation shifted, and it was another confession. And it was yet another confession of what he did wrong, and what things, dark things, he was involved with that he shouldn't have been involved with, and what he did with our money, and how he spent it, and that he was really sorry, and he didn't mean to do these terrible things, and he wished that he had control over himself, but he didn't, and um, that he wanted to, he just wanted to come clean, he wanted to make sure that I understood how much he loved me, and that in his heart of hearts, he wants things to progress on a positive note. Then he went on to talk about his daughters and how he failed them and the things that he had hoped to do that that he wasn't able to do and that he really wanted, you know, the sense of family that he never had and he was disappointed that he was adopted and that his own biological parents that he never met and that he reached out to them several times and they didn't want to have anything to do with him and it made him sad. And, you know, so this, this conversation that I had with him was intense. It was a lot in one moment. And it was like the flip was switched and he went from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde. And he went from super nice, sweet Eric to mean, nasty, just Mr. Nasty, you know. And um, he started yelling and raising his voice and saying that I had done things to his equipment and that I ruined his equipment. And I was like, look... I'm like, you know me, I know nothing about audio equipment or music equipment. It's not my thing. I'm like, I've not done anything to your stuff. I'm like, wherever you left it, however you handled it, and all the different treatment centers and sofas and places that you've been, that's on you. I'm like, I didn't do anything to your stuff. I'm like, if anything, I want your stuff to work so that you can be a responsible person so that you can produce music so that we can create a ministry so that we can help other people. I'm like, I want your equipment to work. Well, he didn't want to hear that. And it wasn't really him at that point. It was Mr. Nasty. And um, at that point, I said, you know, I made an agreement with you that I would see you tomorrow at 11am to do the things that we had agreed to do together and to work on the van build, to make, you know, different plans of what we need to do going forward. And I'm going to keep my commitment to do that with you. And I said, but as far as you, you know, screaming at me and blaming me for things that I didn't do, I'm like, I'm not going to take the blame. I'm not going to, I'm sorry. No. You need to sit with it. You need to turn it over. You need to get back with God. You need to, you know, I'm, I'm going to hang up now because you're being nasty. And hung up. And 
like I said, his normal ritual was he called me every night. And that night he did not call me back. The next morning, um, I got myself ready and I went to our agreed upon place where I would park the van and wait for him to walk down because where he lived was difficult with the van. It was easier to have more space to park. And um, I waited and waited and waited and he didn't show. And I went to his place and knocked on the door and he didn't answer. And I called and he didn't answer. And then I called my friend who we were all supposed to get together with later that afternoon uh, to talk about different music and uh, biblical counseling about. And um, she said she would stop by on her way over to meet me. And her response was that when she went to his studio, it was dead silent. And later on that evening, my friend and I were doing other work on the ministry and paperwork and computer work, etc. And around six o'clock, both of us started to cry. We had no idea why we were crying. We just knew that we were crying. And she said, I have this, you know, church thing to go to. Would you like to come? And I had planned on just being by myself in the apartment. And I said, sure, I'll come with you. So we went together and I drove. And while we were at this event, I saw the words faith, hope, and love. And they were on the wall. The same faith, hope, and love of a song that my friend had given Eric to write music to the lyrics that was in a guitar case to two guitars that were owned by my friend that were put in Eric's possession so that he could fix this, you know, restring the guitars and make the music to go along with the lyrics. And I see the words, faith, hope, and love. And I start crying again, not knowing why. And the singer guitarist who was at this church event, when I looked at him, I felt like the mannerisms of me watching this man play the guitar look like the mannerisms of how Eric would play the guitar. And I started to cry. And I ended up making it through the service with great difficulty. And my friend who knew people there was kind of circulating around and I knew it would take her a while to say goodbye to people. So I went out to the van and again, I'm calling him again and he's not answering. And this is just really strange for him because like I said, even if he was doing drugs, he would still pick up the phone and call me and stay in communication. And for him to not communicate at all was very unlike him. So my friend was hungry and we were looking around 
at 9.30 at night trying to find something that was open, and many of the places were closed. And we drive, and another one was closed. And finally, we remembered that this place, Rosario's, was open 24-7 or open really late. And given, you know, COVID restrictions, a lot of places had changed, but this place was fortunately still open. So I parked, and I walked up the ramp, and a song that Eric used to play in the 80s when we were teenagers was on, like, the speaker outside. And then the phone rang, my phone rang. And as I answered the phone, it was a man that I had never talked to before who said he was the landlord's son, and he said there had been an accident, and I said, is Eric okay? Was he sleepwalking? Is, is he, you know, where is he at? I'll come see him. And then his words were, he's dead. And all I can tell you is that my body fell to the ground. I just dropped. And when two become one flesh, you're really connected in ways that you can't really comprehend. And like I said, I did not feel that type of connection with other people before, but I most certainly felt it with Eric. And then began the whole process of death, of grief, of crying, of loss, of acceptance, of disbelief, of why, of trauma, um, there, there were so many details that made his death more difficult than a standard death. He was Jewish, and he was supposed to be buried Jewish, and he was not. I was told it was a criminal investigation and that I was not allowed to get any information and that his belongings were sent to his daughter without my authorization or permission or anything, um... I was not, um, I did not receive a death certificate in the middle of COVID until months after he died. So I really didn't know the true cause of his death until after I got the death certificate. Um, I was forbidden to come to his funeral by his daughter. Um, I was publicly rejected, humiliated, and verbally attacked by both of his daughters and his ex-wife. It was a very difficult time to just grieve, but to add abuse and trauma on top of the grief was very difficult. Um... The financial loss that continued, um, 
really made it difficult to wake up every day and feel inspired. Um, I was in no position to be coaching anyone. Um, I needed to take the time to heal, to understand what had happened, and to rebuild and um, take it one day at a time. And for much of that, it was one hour at a time, one minute at a time. It was challenging. I will say the Jewish practice of Shiva was very helpful where friends and family come and they, you know, bring food and just sit with you. And that lasted for seven days. And I have to say that was very peaceful for me to have that without an expectation of me having to say anything or do anything that that I could actually just be. Um, during the first couple months, you know, some of my closest friends were really available to me by phone and in person and just being with me and helping me do tasks, whatever the tasks were, home tasks, phone call tasks, you know. It was very very um, helpful and I'm so grateful for all those people that stepped up in my life and were there for me Um, and as time went on my relationship with God was brought up to the surface and I had to ask some difficult questions and wait for the responses. And when the responses came by literature, by, you know, uh, by the word, um, by friends, by songs, by movies, however they came, the answers did come. Um, Sometimes it was really hard to accept because, again, the Lord wants us to take responsibility where we can take responsibility and to understand um, that the Lord is protecting us. Now I can tell you that when someone dies that you love very, very much, the deep loss of it and the emptiness that you feel is really hard to move forward. It's very hard to get up and get dressed or take a shower. It's hard to look at their mug that says hubby that you used to have coffee with. It's hard to look at the spot where they would sit in the van and the way that they would do their morning routine and all of your memories of smiling and laughing and having joy that all of a sudden it's just silent I can't tell you how many times I like dialed his phone number and forgot that he wasn't there um there's just so many things that jolt you in ways that you just can't imagine until you're in that position and um sure I had you know 
a very dear aunt, um, Aunt Dot, who had died previously for me, that I very much missed. I had grandparents that died that I knew a little bit, but not like I knew my Aunt Dot. But, um, you know, when Eric died, I mean, he was, he was like my counterpoint. He was my counterpart. He was, he was the man I was going to spend the rest of my life with. He was the man that I was building a business with. He was the man that would take a bullet for me. And I knew that he would. Um, and at the same time, I'm now sitting alone and I had to be reminded that, that Jesus, that Yeshua was with me the whole time, that he was there in my weeping. You know, we forget that, that Jesus wept and, uh, you know, that phrase, be still and know that I am God. That came to me so many times. Um, and I was so used to doing and, you know, working so hard out of the flesh, making things happen. Um, and I, I really was put to understand what be still and know that I am God meant. You can think that you understand certain things, but until you're truly put in a personal relationship with the Lord and one that really challenges you, like it's easy to love the Lord when things are going your way. Like I said in the beginning of this episode of life and death, that when you're in that flow and everything seems to be going just wonderfully, you know, it's easy to praise God. It's easy to give thanks and bless God for all the blessings that you have. It's easy to say your prayers and continue to be grateful for what you have. And you'll continue to get blessed with more. It's harder to praise in the midst of tragedy. It's harder to praise in the midst of mystery, uncertainty, death, grief, and unanswered questions. And I had to be still and understand what that meant. And some of the things were revealed right away. And some were not. And I have to tell you, it, it, it has been a roller coaster ride of my emotions to deal with the discoveries that I have found about who Eric was as a clean and sober person, being in a loving relationship with me, and who he was being under addiction under demonic influence and all of the actions and behaviors that he was participating in that I found actual proof about later, months later. And let me tell you, it's disheartening, it's saddening, it's disappointing, it's 
discouraging. And I had to keep reminding myself who I am in Christ and that Jesus is the strengthening unit of me and that I must go on and that depression is not a part of who I am in God. That is the enemy trying to attack me, trying to make me feel stuck. And it's easy for me to say what I'm saying now at this point in my journey of grief. But while I was in it, I did not have the mindset then that I do now, which is why this whole process is a one day at a time process. The serenity prayer says it very simply, one day at a time. And truly, that's really all we can handle, one day at a time. So in my discoveries of finding things, I had a hard time of wanting to practice the Jewish part of the messianic belief that I believe in, which is honoring the person that you love and remembering the celebration and 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 being in a positive state. Now, I will tell you that there were many people that I talked to. Um, there were many people that were involved in planning his celebration event, which was held after his, quote, funeral that was held by his biological daughter. Um, but the celebration that I held was an honor. It was biblical. It was, we had a message that we wanted to share with others. We had opportunity for people to share their heartfelt experiences about who Eric was as a person and how he affected them. And we had some really amazing memories as a result of that experience. And I had expected many more people who had confirmed that they were coming and I had prepared a lot of food for that number of people. And the number that came was quite less given the circumstances of COVID and perhaps just people not really wanting to deal with death. Um, I think the most difficult part for me um, has been that the people that had been in my inner circle of influence during the time that I spent most of my time with Eric and his network of Narcotics Anonymous and his sponsor and prior sponsors and, you know, um, sponsee network, I have to say that they really were not there for me when he died and afterwards. And I have to say that as a program of N.A., the reason why I was so drawn to it um, with Eric and to be supportive of Eric and his recovery was that they really presented themselves to be an N.A. family. And I have to say that personally, I did not experience that. 
I experienced his two most recent sponsors not show up at all after I had picked a date where they said that they could come and they didn't show up. I found that really hard to deal with. Um, People that we had seen at so many meetings over the years, um, they didn't reach out. Um, But the ones that, you know, seemed like not a big deal. Oh, yeah, this guy was, you know, a part of um, the N.A. family. One person in particular, he has texted me pretty much every other day, every week since Eric died to check up on on me. And I have to tell you, like, that has been very comforting to know that that one person is out there extending care to me during a difficult time. Um, Given the fact that I had felt like I lost a lot of support from NA and that people really were not reaching out the way that I had hoped that they would have, um, I did feel abandoned. I did feel like all that effort of, I don't know, trying, trying to be a part of something was disappointing when I really needed people the most and they weren't there. Um, it did teach me to rely more on the Lord. So mission accomplished, but in terms of reaching out to other people and having an expectation and hope that they would have reached out to me, I have to say that that I was disappointed with the NA network. Some of my Al-Anon friends stayed in touch. Some of um, other fellowships stayed in touch, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but in terms of moving forward, where I found most of my um, support during this difficult time was with grief share and with grief share um i did an online session which i found a little challenging and difficult and um i was more sporadic in coming to that and then the in-person grief share um in my community and i have to say that that was very helpful to go every week with other people who were also grieving the death and loss of their beloved and to do it in the construct of a biblical program where scripture was being involved and conversations were, you know, we were connecting with one another and that was helpful and some of those people I still connect with even today online and in person. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, when I think of labels, I think one of the hardest labels to accept after being through this kind of life upheaval as a result of death is how 
you have to identify yourself in a new way. You know, um, with Eric, I was his fiance. I was his wifey. I was to be his bride. I was to be his wife. And all the wedding plans got canceled as a result of COVID. And then they got rescheduled. And then they didn't come to be because he died before we got married. And to not be married and I find myself in a strange place because I saw myself, quote, as his wife, as his counterpart, um, but I didn't have the official legal title because he died before we got married. Um, But it didn't change my commitment or my feelings towards him. But in terms of my status and how I identify myself, if you say that you're a fiance, people don't take you as seriously as if you say it was my husband. It's again, it's about a level of commitment. But in terms of where I was playing, I was committed. Um, The other part is um, when you get to the place of acceptance and you're like, okay, I'm not married anymore. I'm not engaged anymore. I'm now single. You know, um, just saying that can cause, you know, disturbance, you know. Um, So getting to a place of acceptance with that took time to be able to say, I'm single. Now, some people think that as soon as you, they find out that you're no longer with someone. You know, I had people that I was friends with or that I had dated previously and no joke, they came out of the woodwork and they were trying to, you know, date me while I'm grieving. And I was very clear that boundaries, like I just lost the man that I was engaged to be married to and I'm grieving over his death. I am in no way ready to date or consider anything. And I'm definitely not going to escape in any type of sexual immorality type behavior. So no, like no is a complete sentence. And I can't stress enough how frustrating it was to be focused on putting my attention on God, on Yeshua, on Jesus, and to be, you know, attacked on a daily basis by emails and text messages and ridiculous voicemails of guys that were trying to hook up you know, sending me, you know, you know, pictures, it's just ridiculous. Um, But it just goes to show that the type of warfare that you're going to get is going to be challenging. And um, thank God for, you know, his strength. So 
as I kind of wrap up this this part about life and death, it isn't until you know you get to that place of like real pure acceptance that you know he's not coming back, he's gone, he's at a different place and I'm still here living on earth with life and I need to do something with my life. And at the same time, as you know, I'm coming to those realizations and moving through this whole process of grief at the same time, there are so many things that are still undone that still need to be addressed and dealt with that involves financial and legal and and belongings and things that come with the business of you know being together with someone and what are you going to do with stuff and are you going to give it away are you going to sell it are you going to you know and all those decisions need to be made and you know, like simple things like, well, what about his clothes? I know that for many people who were dealing with the death of their husband or wife, and they talked about, you know, dealing with their clothes and their shoes and their belongings and stuff that, you know, they finally got to the point where one day they were like, okay, it's time to bag all this stuff up and, you know, see if the family wants any. And then after that, it goes to goodwill or charity of some kind or selling certain things of value or what have you. And in my case, um, I haven't even gotten to that point yet. Um, Just because it's still, you know, other steps away of making choices and decisions around that. Um. And then when you think about your inventory of what you're going to do, you ask yourself, is it worth it? Or is it time to just walk a different path? And this is where waiting on the Lord really comes into play because I'm waiting on confirmation from the Lord. I'm waiting on his direction, on what he wants and I'm being inspired to do what I need to do, like the uncomfortable ability of recording this and putting it out there when, you know, I really don't necessarily want to do it, but I'm doing it. I'm obeying and I'm listening to what I'm being led to do. And sometimes that walk is difficult. And it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And at the same time, what I am learning and discovering in this whole journey as my with my walk with the Lord is that it's not my job to even understand everything. That is the mystery of God. I'm not God, so therefore, how can I even pretend to understand who God is. I can I can learn to the basis of what's written in the Bible and I can try to emulate that behavior 
um, which is by focusing on him, then he is going to come out through me expressing as him within me. And I know this is just such a strange concept to to really get. And a lot of people don't. They just think that Jesus was a man that lived in a certain time and he walked the planet and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and that's the end of it and he comes again in the future. But until then, I'm just going to be whoever I feel like being and he already forgave me for my sins, so therefore I don't have to do anything. Well, that's not really correct teaching. The Lord wants to have a personal relationship with every human. And just like in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were connected with God, they had a personal relationship with him, just like Jesus had a perfect relationship with God. And God wants that with us, and we can have it if we choose to focus on him. And it's easy to say, it's hard to do. You know, we are easily distracted beings and we can come up with a whole bunch of excuses of why we'd rather do this over that. And it comes down to, are we doing God's will or are we doing our ego self-will? And sometimes there's a fine line between that. And, um, you know, it's, it's discovered as a process with my personal relationship with the Lord as he directs my relationship with him. And so here I am just sharing with you how that has unfolded with my own personal experience of life and death, something that is very current for me that I'm still moving through. Now, I can tell you that there are some things that I've learned that as a result, I'm going to continue to implement and put into practice and keep getting better at as a result of what I've gone through. There are also things that I'm real clear about, about what God wants in terms of me being a single, celibate by choice, non sexually active person so that God can work through me and that if it's meant to be, if I am supposed to get married, because I've never been married yet, I've been engaged, but I've never been married. Um, If it's God's will for me to be married, then I welcome when God lines up the person, the man for me that is a godly man. Um, Otherwise, I'm content being happy with my relationship with Jesus. And I know that sounds pretty, you know, nun-like in today's worldly world where anything goes. And, um, You know, I can't say that from my past I would be having the same conversation then as I am now because I didn't have the same understanding now. You know, I didn't have the same understanding then that I do now um, about what the Bible says, about who God is, about what God expects. Um, 
But let's just keep it simple. If we're trying to emulate Jesus, a perfect being that walked the planet, did Jesus go around whipping out his stuff in a public setting and saying, hey, let's have a three-way and use sex toys and, you know, talking about how it's okay to, you know, do whatever, whenever with whoever? No. That did not happen. Because Jesus was a pure being and he emulated purity. And so it would be understandable that if you're really committed to the Lord, that his righteousness is going to start to show through you and glow through you and that his strength is going to become your strength and he's going to restore you to um, a level of transformation that you might not have thought possible. And that's within his power. Um, It's not something that, um, it's not something that we do on our own. And that's really hard to understand and accept. Um, It really is through him and our relationship with him that our lives begin to unfold in the way that he designed us to be created in his image um, so that we are capable to do incredible things that we couldn't have done before. And um, again, I, I am still in the process of this transformation. I'm still, you know, I'm, I still feel like the caterpillar that's crawling. I know I've been in my chrysalid cocoon and, you know, for the past several months dealing with all this hiding and growing and learning and discovering in this cocoon. And, you know, I'm starting to break out of this cocoon with my wings and I'm starting to become the beautiful butterfly that, that God intended me to be. Um, And here's the hard part, (laughs) you know, um, when I think of all the jobs and careers that I've had in my past, um, I'd say that my favorite was being a yoga teacher and I loved, I loved teaching. I loved challenging people beyond their belief system. I loved bringing fun into it and, you know, handstands and headstands and arm balances and twisty pretzel poses and, you know, doing things that were dangerous and challenging. And I loved all of that. And I love teaching beginners, you know, um, how to, um, get in touch with your body and pay attention and listen and um, feel what's going on and sense what's going on and connect the thoughts that are coming up to the surface with 
the injuries that are embedded into your body and your cellular and flesh structure and being able to move beyond all that. And, and I could go on about how I loved doing what I did as a yoga teacher. And I can tell you that when I prayed and I asked God to reveal to me who needed healing, who needed help, I asked God to reveal to me who I was supposed to talk to privately and give extra support to. And I listened and I obeyed. And I think that's what made me a very different yoga teacher than the masses that are out there. Um, And I have to say, when I was asked a few years ago to put yoga on hold and to not practice yoga and to spend more time doing other fitness activities such as walking and um, Pilates and just going to the gym, that was really hard for me to obey because I have to say my love was yoga and I was very committed to it, very passionate about it. And if I was going to say now with my understanding of the Bible, like what was I idolizing? I was idolizing yoga. Yoga came before God. Yoga and my body image was more important than God. And in in my correct mind now, I could see that, but then... I didn't see that I was doing anything wrong. I would say that I was just, you know, keeping my body healthy. And I was just, you know, doing something to help people. And the thing is, is sometimes you don't really understand what you're involved with until you're asked to put it on hold and to let God work through you in a different way. And it is what it is. Um... And which brings me back around to life coaching and biblical coaching and sharing my story here about life and death. Now, other parts of this podcast are going to talk about very different topics, but I just wanted to give you a bit of a summary. Sorry, it's long of what I've been through for the past several months So this is kind of a, you know, compilation of what's been going on for several months now. And um, I hope that you will continue to join me and support me and share with me uh, what's going on. My website is anhyland.com. That's A-N-N-H-Y-L-A-N-D.com. A-N-N-H-Y-L-A-N-D.com. Peace and love and joy. And hope and faith to all of you, my brothers and sisters, in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Hi, everybody. So today the inspiration is, who is he? And who is he? I'm sure that you've heard of the man named Jesus or otherwise known in Hebrew as Yeshua, or maybe the Lion of Judah, 
or maybe the king of kings, or maybe the Lord of all lords, or Jesus the Messiah. And I could go on with who he is. But the main thing about who he is, is that he was a perfect human being. He was God manifested as man, a God man, a true God man. He was selfless. He was kind. He was patient. He shared the true gospel in practice. And he went to people that were suffering and he invited them very simply to follow me. He invited them to come and have a personal experience with him. He declared that he was the way, the truth, and the life. When he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Yehovah. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we forgive those who debt against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, when you take that simple prayer of our Father and you really break it down, I want to break it down even more, just so that it's clear. Our Father, first of all, we need to really understand that God, Jehovah, is our Father, that He loves us. As a Father, He loves His children. He wants the best for us. And by us first starting to say, Our Father, we're praising Him, our Father, who art in heaven, He's living in heaven. He is seated in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. God's name is Yehovah in Hebrew. There's other names for him. Adonai, Hashim, the Comforter. I could go on and on. And his son's name, Jesus, in Hebrew, Yeshua, the Savior, the chosen one is seated in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. So the point is by saying this prayer, we're saying bring heaven as it is in heaven down to earth right now in this moment. Let's bring Jesus. Let's bring God into this moment right now, <coughs> excuse me, in heaven as it is on earth. 
and <coughs> excuse me need to take a sip hold up too much talking without any water um so bringing Jesus bringing God from heaven down to earth to be present with us in this moment Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. <coughs> Give us this day. God is saying, live one day at a time. <coughs> He's not saying, put your whole life plan in one moment. <coughs> He's saying, live this one day, one day at a time. And forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts. We all have trespassed against one another. We all have debts against another person. Whether it's thought, word, deed, financial, what have you. We have problems. In life there are problems. And for this day, we want to forgive those that have hurt us. As we forgive those who trespass against us. <coughs> so when someone says something nasty, we forgive them. When someone does something terrible, we forgive them. And we pray for them. Now, sometimes <coughs> praying for others that are pretty mean and nasty, it's hard. Um, maybe your prayer might start out something like, God, you know that I really don't like this person and they really irritate me and I don't like them and I'm praying because you said that I'm supposed to forgive them and I'm going to pray, but I just want it to be clearly known that today I really don't like this person but I'm praying for this person. That's how your prayer might sound in the beginning. And believe me, I have prayers like that for people. That's all I can muster in that moment, on that day. And sometimes the prayers evolve to, I know that she's probably hurting. And... I want to have compassion for her. And I understand she had a really hard life. And I want to believe that someday I can get to the place of just being peaceful with her. Even if she still hates me that I can get to a place of being peaceful with her. My hope is that she will come to a place of wanting to include me in a positive, godly possibility to have a relationship with her in a godly manner. That's my prayer. 
But prayers like that sometimes take months or years to get to that point, depending on what occurred, depending on our resentments and blame and shame and guilt, etc. So just know that one day at a time, this, this prayer, you know, forgive one day at a time. Um, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, every day we have choices. And those choices sometimes are really easy. Um, Like you're standing in line and somebody is obviously having a bad day. And instead of letting that negativity affect you, because that's the only line that's open, you know, as you're trying to pay for your gas that you've pumped, um, that this person that you're dealing with is in a bad mood. But you can say to that person, instead of leading yourself into temptation of being mean and nasty, you can say something kind or something funny or joyful or just be even kinder than what you would normally be because it's easy to just, it's easier to ignore the person or not say anything or be mean or jump into what somebody else was saying and add on to the gossip or add on to the nonsense it takes more character to say to the person that's obviously struggling, hey, looks like you're having a really hard day today. <clears throat> I can understand that. You know, um, what helps me sometimes is if I pray, would you mind if I prayed for you right now? Would that be okay? And most of the time when I ask somebody if I can do that for them, surprised as they are, they usually say yes. And I pray for them. And the entire energy in that space shifts. And that person is freed from whatever was attacking them in that moment. And the rest of the people standing in line are in a state of joy. Because the environment has changed by just reaching out to people in need in that moment. So, um, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. So, if we really get this, that everything that we do, it's God's kingdom, on earth like it is in heaven. It's God's kingdom. And if we honor God in everything that we do, then we're going to have a much better experience. I'm not saying that it's not going to be without challenges because in life there are challenges and in life there are problems. And 
sometimes part of the challenges and part of the problems are what are necessary for us to build our character, to become better followers, and to become more like Christ by the trials and the challenges. And other times, um, when we find that we are in the company of other brothers and sisters that really understand this concept of having a personal relationship with him, it's amazing how we can all enjoy one another's company and share in the joy and the expression and the uniqueness that we all are as an expression of the Lord. And we can bless other people with our gifts and talents and harmonize together and praise together and worship together and be in a really amazing positive vibe. So that is the Our Father prayer in a summary. And being in the presence of the Lord, there are certain things that are evident. Um, Generally, you're going to find peace and you're going to find stillness, and you're going to find joy. Um, However, when we find opposition, when we find challenges, generally speaking, it is the devil who is a liar, It is Satan that is up to no good, Um, also known as the dragon, the serpent, the wicked one, the evil one, Beelzebul, Beelzebub, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, the antichrist, and I could go on and on with other labels, death the destroyer, the thief. But in summary, the devil is a liar. He steals, he kills, he destroys, and ultimately in the killing, it's death. So if you don't want to be bombarded with the problems of the devil and you don't like dark, shadowy experiences, and you don't like that type of heaviness that um, those experiences bring, then you might want to shift your attention to how you can understand who Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, the Lord, the King of all kings, who he is. Because Jesus was brutally attacked and flogged. And if you have not seen some of the visual clips of 
the crucifixion, I encourage you to watch whatever things you can watch and really understand what that means like. Because in our day and time right now, we don't have Roman crucifixions. But that type of thing was pretty, pretty horrible. Um, and to just go through the flogging before he even had to carry the cross, he was already torn up and beaten before he even had the cross to shoulder on his arms to carry. Um, and then all the traveling with this heavy cross to then finally be nailed to the cross. And again, if you don't or have not watched, you know, um, some of the scientific evidence and the scientific proof that can be found, I really encourage you to watch the movie The Case for Christ and also the other episode that I believe is on Roku, which is The Case for Christ with actually the real Lee Strobel and his actual scientific journey of the findings that he found, not just the movie, but the real Lee and and what he has to say about his own journey from being an atheist to becoming a Christian and a true believer in Yeshua. Um, but the point is, when Jesus was on the cross, you know, like, scientifically and, you know, all the medical understanding of what doctors have had to, you know, document about what that must have been like, like, every breath, you're in absolute pain because of the way that you're nailed with your wrists and your ankles and your the way that you're compromised with your lungs and you know it's just there's so much agony in that just from a, a physical standpoint we're not even talking about the spiritual standpoint of Jesus had a perfect relationship and unity and relationship with God the Father his entire life but then God had to leave him. And for the first time, he felt what it's like to be alone, just like many of you feel alone. But on the cross, as Jesus is alone, separated from God, and he took on all the sins of the world, every single sin from every person, all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way up to you and me, every single person, dead and alive, all of their sins, past, present, and future, and he took all of it on him in that moment. We can't even imagine what kind of excruciating emotional pain that is. I had a difficult enough time losing the man that I loved, and I'm still grieving, and that one thing was painful. Imagine every single sin of every single person from past, present, and future, and all the emotional pain that that's could be contained in like the cosmic mind of God, and that's on Jesus, like woo, like that's we really can't even imagine what that was like, and in all that suffering and and all the bloodshed that He shed for us, then to be 
put in a tomb that was um, completely um, guarded and locked and then he disappears and resurrects from the dead and all the eyewitnesses are women who at the time women were like the most unreliable sources and women were the ones that found him and saw him and there were 500 recordings of sightings of seeing Jesus after he died in the flesh them touching him and like a physical body that's no joke I mean you can't concoct and make up a story like that and when you get the facts and they're there if you want to really look into it you'll find that what Jesus did is incredible he conquered death and if you're like on the fence about you know Maybe you're like, oh, I really, you know, like the Buddha and he's a great representation for my faith. Or, you know, I like, um, you know, whatever. The point is, there are many saints and many masters and many people who have been on the planet who have been inspiring individuals. And I'm not putting down any of those amazing people who have made a contribution in literature, in books, in inspiration, in guiding people in a positive direction. However, those people did not die on a Roman cross and rise from the dead, and they were not God embodied as man, God-man. Like, those other people that walked the planet don't have <clears throat> the same story. So I encourage you that you do your research and you watch some of these resources, The Case for Christ, the movie, and then the actual real Lee Strobel, and start to investigate and really understand who Jesus is and if you're not for team Jesus and team Yeshua um, and you're on the other team you might want to ask yourself why because when the time is up and we don't know at what time or what hour that will be we don't know um But it might be a good idea to start saying that simple Our Father prayer and start to put God, Our Father, in the proper position and authority over your life and to really understand that he gave his precious son, Jesus, to be the connection point the direct connection so that we get to go to the Father through him so that we can receive the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide us um, 
and to have a more perfect union with God, his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I know this is a lot of concepts at once, and it might be a lot for some, but I just encourage you to just be with it, sit with it, and um, get out your Bible, get on your knees, pray, and ask the Lord to reveal to you who he is. And he will. And it might surprise you the way that he encourages you to get to know him. And that's okay. You know, surprises are part of this journey. But one thing I know, that when you say your prayers and you choose Jesus as your king, your life is so much richer and stronger than without him. And when you proclaim and declare that he is the source for all of your blessings and happiness and it is in him that you are who you are because of him, when you really give him that glory, you really have a different experience of showing up in life instead of hiding. So I encourage you, wherever you are today, to create a relationship with God our Father, Jesus his Son, and pray that the Holy Spirit may come upon you and that you will be guided to learn how to pray, to be led in a direction of transformation and regeneration and restoration. In Jesus' name, amen.